What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you as always, basically, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, now, just magnificent co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, we are going to move on to the Western Conference portion of our three-quarters mark grades, basically, even though, again, we're a little late on the three-quarters marks. Be sure to check out the Eastern Conference one we recorded just a few days ago. We're recording this Western Conference one on a Sunday, and as we speak, the Knicks are getting waxed by the Toronto Raptors because Emmanuel Moutier can't play defense, and Michael Beasley's shot selection is shit, but I digress. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone, implore everyone, beg, plead everyone to continue to go on iTunes, throw us a subscription, throw us a rating, throw us a review. We really appreciate all the feedback, even when it's negative and aimed at me, and even though I'm super sensitive about it, and text Andy and cry. Um, <laughs> but we appreciate it. Everyone who's done so, thank you. If you can continue to do that, uh, that's the best way to help the pod at this point. We also have a, a special treat, I guess I'll call it, for Hardwood Knox listeners. If you want to go to the mbamath.com store, you can get 15% off anything in the in the shop um by entering the promo code wait for it benno that's b-e-n-o and those who listen should not have a problem spelling it or knowing what we're talking about so that's mbamath.com slash shop enter promo code benno that'll get you 15 percent off all these cool we have shirts and sweatshirts they're a bunch of spectacular ones the designer louis that we have working on these and there's more designs to come it's great. I highly recommend the Unicorn series um, or the one where LeBron is blocking Jordan at the backboard. Just saying. Um, with that, we get to the question that everyone is actually waiting for, and that's, Andy, how are you doing? I'm excellent. Uh, shout out to Bino Udri at the beginning of the podcast instead of the end this time, Do you first think of this all. this is the highlight of his life? His first name <laughs> is now the promo code. Um. Maybe, maybe sometime when he was on the Spurs. I don't know. Uh, but the, <laughs> the NBA math promo code has to be up there. It's got to be. And whoever's idea that was, was brilliant. That was Arjun, right? No. So, well, it was, uh, we have to thank Arjun who handled like getting the promo code set up and everything. I confirmed with him before we started, but it, he like said, okay, promo codes, hardwood knocks. And I was like, nah, it needs to be Benno. Oh, then shout out to you. Uh, but shout out to him for making it, and we're, we're going to have to, you know a slow-mo one is going to come at some point. Gotta yeah, represent. that's a good call. Once good he call. signs with the Knicks this summer, we'll do a slow-mo promo. And I'm with you, 15% uh, off those shirts, is that's pretty sweet, because that there are some really cool designs in the NBA Math Store, and if you haven't gone there, it's it's definitely worth a look. And I'm not just being like, NBA Math corporate show, because uh, <laughs> we're not, I mean, it's not really a corporation, so I am just telling you like it is. I'm probably going to – I'm not even going to pay attention to this podcast. I'm going to be adding stuff to my own cart, and then I'm just going to use the promo code. <laughs> uh, half the half the promo codes are going to be from you and me. 
Yep, that works. <laughs> um, anyway, so now we get to move on to the team grades. We are going to eventually go in reverse record order. So Grizzlies fans, this will be quick and very, very painful, though. But uh, <laughs> we're going to start with the Spurs just because ESPN.com's Lisa Salters is saying that uh, he could return soon. This is funny because we've heard like everything has changed. Greg Popovich first said he'd be surprised if he played this season, which is now very clearly we know was a shot at, hey, Kwai, you need to get your ass in motion. She said, uh, I believe during Per Woj, the Spurs Thunder broadcast, that loss that the Spurs suffered on Saturday night, that he could return Thursday against the Pelicans, which is going to be big for the Spurs because th- they need him. I I just I still gave them a a B for the season, but they're in danger of missing the playoffs. And yes, that Western Conference fray is difficult, but they have still this is still this the third hardest remaining schedule in the league. So the difficulty's gone down a bit because they face the Warriors. They they got the Thunder game out of the way, but like the road isn't going to get a lot easier from here. And I saw that Greg Popovich really tried to kind of um, shake things up against the Thunder. He he started uh, Patty Mills instead of Danny Green. Uh, unless I'm really misremembering. I probably should have because I was watching it. I've, I've seen that game. I was watching it like I watched it before we started recording. And um, no, I'm right. I just didn't double check. I remember seeing him like on op- like near the opening tip. And I-, I thought to myself, did he use a quick hook on Danny Green? And no. So he started Patty Mills instead of Danny Green. I get what he was trying to do, kind of inject an offensive punch. But I don't necessarily think that th- that would be a solution just because uh, Patty Mills to me is still more of kind of like a spot up guy, and you you're, the offense isn't necessarily the issue with Lamarcus Aldridge on the floor. The the Spurs are still scoring like a top twelve team basically when he's on the court, and you're probably gonna get as much shot creation to me at this point out of Danny Green as you would Patty Mills, and he's gonna be the superior defensive option. Um, and like so, Danny Green. I'm like looking at pull-up shooting attempts right now for them. And yes, Patty Mills averages noticeably more pull-up shooting attempts than Danny Green. But he's just, I don't know, watching Danny Green this season, he's driving more. Patty Mills is very predictable on drives. He's almost too self selfish. But I'm, I'm curious kind of what you think about the move and what, what what did you give them, Andy? Because their situation is so complex. That is an interesting move. Um, you said you gave him a B, right? Just, I mean, they have lost a top five player for the season, and yet they're still yeah. in the playoff hunt. I gave them a B minus uh, for the basically the same justification you just gave there. Um, they haven't had Kawhi Leonard really all season, and I, I'm sure they would have been better, especially if he had been healthy all year. Um, the really interesting thing, so I agree with you. I, I'm not sure the starting lineup, at least the one that they've been rolling out lately, was was the problem. Um so maybe Popovich is just trying to light any kind of a fire with that move. Um, but I, I think if you look at this roster, I've been saying this for two or three years. It's like this is the year they're finally going to come back down to earth a little bit. <laughs> um, and I guess it took not having Kawhi Leonard for the whole season for that to actually be the case. And I, I think a huge indicator of where the Spurs are as a team this season and they <laughs> this isn't a slight to Kyle Anderson but he leads the team in box plus minus that's a problem um, 
with the exception of Kawhi Leonard, and I'm just not going to count him because he's only played a couple hundred minutes. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. That's that is not ideal. I think Kyle Anderson is a very good player, uh, particularly on defense. I, I, his ability to block shots and get steals and just always always be in the right spot is is really really important. But and and this isn't like the end all be all of who is your best player. But if he's leading your team in box plus minus, yeah, like you said, that's that's probably not ideal and that's certainly not a team we're used to year after year saying the spurs are a title contender just sort of de facto they're going to be a title contender Mm -hmm. um with with all of this in place if if kyle anderson is your guy you're probably not a title contender the one thing things change drastically with Kawhi in the next couple weeks um sure but but right now i'm i feel like this is finally 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 the year where they they kind of come back down to earth the one last thing I'll say, and it kind of disproves a little bit. I I understand the change in the starting lineup now more. That starting lineup, I, their most used one anyway, where you had Aldridge, um, Anderson, Gasol, Green, and and Javante Murray. They were getting outscored by almost nine points per hundred possessions oh. this season. If you <laughs> well, I'm glad you looked that up though. If you then. pull out Murray and put in Mills, that lineup is also the Spurs' most used lineup and has a plus ten point one per hundred possessions. But you're invested. So I wonder why they would. Well, you're invested in Murray's development, and and the lineup that they did start on the season is one of their six most used, and it's almost a plus eleven per one hundred possessions. But so this is what's crazy about the Spurs, though. So that lineup that they rolled out as their starting lineup last night is their sixth most used lineup. It's appeared in six games. Oh wow! Three of their four, excuse me, four of their top six most used lineups have appeared in fewer than nine games this season. That's crazy. And that certainly contributes. So we'll wrap up with this, and you're the man to answer this question. The Spurs right now, one game separates them from the ninth-place Nuggets and the 10th-place Jazz. One game in the win column, too, just for people who care about that stuff. Are the Spurs going to make the playoffs? Um, I want to withhold my answer till I see how Kawhi looks, but I, of course— predicted they would be out a couple episodes back twitter was ablaze (laughs) um i'm starting to lean towards minnesota just because they're so bad without jimmy butler but if it's not like an instant click with Kawhi leonard there's there's a very real chance um san antonio could miss like you said that they got the third hardest schedule from here on out and and i'm not sure Kawhi is just like an instant band-aid for all their problems so in the next week or two, I think we might learn a lot about whether or not they're going to get in. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm. I think they're still going to get in, but I actually sent you something I wrote about this, and too much of it, more than I'm comfortable with, has a lot to do with blind faith. Now we move on to the Memphis Grizzlies, who have lost a league high seventeen season high for the league seventeen games in a row. They are eighteen Ooh. and forty eight. Mark Gasol is pouting visibly, publicly, verbally, in every way imaginable. They are not good. And you had some thoughts on them for the podcast. I want to hear what grade you gave them, and I'm ready for this evisceration, this takedown. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, It's funny that you should say that he's visibly pouting. I I watched that um, Jazz Grizzlies game two nights ago, and (laughs) it was like... Um, have you seen the Royal Tenenbaums? No, I have not. Oh man, there's a scene where 
uh, Richie has just been turned down by his true love and he's a professional tennis player and they show him playing it like it's like a fake Wimbledon basically and he's just so out of it he, he's not even trying he's hitting the ball up into the stands at one point he sits down cross-legged and like takes his socks off <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how Mark Gasol looked to me in that jazz game he he just clearly does not care at this point um and when that's your best player, boy, that's that's a big problem. And what I what I said during that game was, I would love to know what was on the table for him at the trade deadline. What what they passed up, um, either the offers were just terrible, or um, or they just made a huge mistake because he's not invested right now, and he's already thirty three years old. The thoughts I shared with you that I think you're alluding to from before the pa- podcast. So he didn't even play in their last game, which was last night. This is this is everyone who made it onto the floor for the Grizzlies last night. Jermichael Green, undrafted. Jarrell Martin, 25th pick. Dylan Brooks, 45th pick. Kobe Simmons, undrafted. Ben, ben McLemore, 7th pick. So there's our first lottery guy. And, and I don't think we need to go in too far about why Ben McLemore might not have been worth the 7th pick. Um, Ivan Rabb, 35th pick. Chandler Parsons, 38th. Deontay Davis, 31st. And Xavier Rathan Mays, undrafted. I mean, this team is clearly um, all aboard the tank. And I just think it's – we talked about this in the last episode. The Bulls got a warning for sitting Robin Lopez and, and Justin Holiday. And meanwhile, the Grizzlies are doing this. It's, it's crazy. I gave them a – before I throw it back to you, an F. <laughs> Shouldn't I gave have the, even had to look that up. But, yeah, I gave them an F. I gave them a D- minus and thought I was just – being too hard on them, so I'm glad you gave them an F. I don't give out Fs. I must be a notorious, generous grader. That's my only F for the West. Spoilers! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I gave them a D-. I'm with you on everything you said, as normal, as typical. But I, my, my whole thing is, I, and this is why I thought I was penalizing them too much, am I, am I like just so colored against their front office right now for not trading Tyreek Evans? Tyreek and Gasol, yeah. And I look the Gasol thing and the Mike Conley thing. First of all, you're not you're not trading MC. It just wasn't going to happen with his injury. I, I understand you can talk yourself into being competitive with them. They're under contract now. You're going to have let's say a top five pick add it to a healthy Gasol Conley, and it's fine. Or at least you can talk yourself into it being fine. But Evans, you don't have bird rights on, and. Maybe they didn't want to sell low, but what's happening now? You're not going to play him, or you're going to play him on a really bad team. I just don't. I I don't understand the thinking there. And if he leaves, failing to get anything in return, maybe they just didn't want to take on salary, and there was no other offer. Even if it was coming with a second round pick, maybe teams wanted them to take on salary, and they didn't want to do that. I I have no idea. One of the bright spots, uh, well, I guess insofar as we could say that there have been bright spots on this team I still really like Dylan Brooks and I love uh Kobe Sim uh I call him Kobe Jordan I don't know I just because his middle name is Jordan and I love that I don't even, <laughs> I don't even call him uh Kobe Simmons like so Kobe Jordan he he's been kind of fun to watch he can run some pick and rolls uh they do play him at point guard but he's also a guy who could defend some twos maybe eventually he could defend some threes he's an okay finisher at the rim Really needs kind of a jump shot. Even as a spot-up shooter, he's just not great. Uh, shooting 25% from the corners, that's 
you know, kind of a harbinger of doom a little bit. He's not someone that you can count on to get to the free throw line a ton. So there, there's a lot of work to be done there, uh, but he's only 20, and I, I really like him, and that's something to look to. And then Dylan Brooks, too, kind of has that same – they've been in the hunt for wings for how long now? And he looks like a guy to me. The numbers, they're not going to support this, but he's at least trying. So over his last 10 games, almost 35% of his shots have come on pull-ups. He's shooting – his effective field goal percentage on those is 30. So he's shooting under 28% overall on pull-ups, and that's that's bad. But the fact that this might be a guy who can handle the ball and create his own shot would be big for them. D-line I love that a positive, uh, a positive note about the Grizzlies right now is he's at least trying. Well, they're at least <laughs> trying to make him into that player, yeah. which which I can support. And this look, they've dealt with injuries, but this basketball team it's is bad. Not good. All right, that brings us to the Phoenix Suns, correct? Oh boy, um, they only have one more win than the Memphis Grizzlies. They're nineteen and forty nine. I gave him a C minus, um, just because I don't I don't think we should have expected a ton more wins than what they have given the roster coming into the season. And there are still some guys that are intriguing to me on this team. Some young guys, obviously Devin Booker, Alfred who, Payton, who you went to war for on the last <laughs> yeah, podcast. I did go to war for him. Um, I'm I'm still like I'm still kind of high on the potential of that backcourt, Payton and Booker. I like T.J. Warren. I think Josh Jackson has shown flashes in the last couple months. Um, Dragon Bender, for a seven-footer in his age 20 or younger season, the only one who's made more threes um, in an age 20 or younger season is Laurie Markkinen this year. And obviously both guys still have a few more games to add to their total. So I like Dragon Bender, too. I, I love shooting from the big man positions. There's a lot of interesting pieces here. They're obviously... <laughs> not really working in terms of leading to wins right now. But like I said, I, I just don't think that we should have expected that. I gave them a D because could this team de-emphasize shooting anymore? You talk about how it's great that Bender can step out and shoot the three. The Suns are still in the bottom 10, bottom 10 of three-point attempt rate, which is actually an improvement over last season. But they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league. And it really hinders their ability to do a, a ton of crap on offense. And I, I look to, to Devin Booker, who it's amazing that he's developed into a pick-and-roll playmaker the way that he has. I'm commending him for doing it. He has improved his efficiency out of the pick-and-roll, but still more than 90% of his ball handler possessions are ending in a shot attempt or a turnover. And it amazes me that he's actually improved his efficiency, though, when he just doesn't have shooters around him to work that. And it was the same case last year, 92% plus percent of his possessions as the ball handler finished with a shot attempt or turnover. You want to have options for him to kind of work with so that he can pass the ball more. And they just don't have that around him. It's great that Alfred Payton can kind of put up numbers. It looks like it, it, on this team, like he has. And I, I, that that's fine, but he's not a true floor spacer. What do you do when you don't play Booker and and Bender at the same time. And the Booker-Payton pairing, which, again, I think still has some potential, when they're on the court together over the last yeah. 10 games, 100.5 offensive rating. That, that's not good. And this team has just not shown enough progress to me on the more glamorous end. And now they've invested. Well, they haven't invested, but if they re-sign Payton, they've already given TJ Warren 
his contract. I, I don't know that Reed is going to turn into – he's a guy maybe he could space the floor. Uh, but, it, you know, that's – we're working with small samples here in, in the minutes that he's played this season. Where are you getting this extra spacing from? I, I don't know where it's going to come from. TJ Warren still isn't that guy. He he can create his own shot. He's fantastic at points. But his ceiling, to me, kind of seems like a guy who would shoot, let's say, 33 34%. And, and that's just from beyond the arc. And that's just not enough for this team. And that we haven't even talked about their defense, by the way, which is just still not great. I just chuck all – I chuck so much of that up to them just being young, though. They're so young. But you, they don't have, like, a, who's their best defender? Uh, Alex Len, who doesn't play. I don't know. <laughs> Josh Jackson, I think, has the potential to be a pretty good defender, but then you run into more shooting issues there. I mean, I, I under, I'm with you. They, the issues are very real. I, I just still feel like they have another year or two to sort out who fits, who doesn't fit. Um, and, I, and obviously it's like, who's going to fit next to Booker? But I'm I'm just still willing to give them a little bit of time. You really need Josh Jackson, who suffered a knee injury against the Cavs, uh, by the way. But you need his jumper to come along because he's been better. He, yeah, he's got to shoot at least like 33-34. He's been at he's so he's been better his last. If you look at his last 24-25 games, he's he's just been he's been very good uh, compared to what he was at the beginning of the season. Anyway, he's getting to the free throw line a bit, shooting almost 70% from the foul line over his last 25. Again, I think his passing was understated around the draft and he's showing that a little bit more. I think he could eventually be a Chris Middleton level passer, uh, which is a a pretty big deal. And he's shooting 27% from three over that span. You need him to get, like you said, to the, to the 33% mark, because yes, you can keep him on the floor if he's going to develop into someone who can, play twos and threes and if he gets stronger guard some fours but you need that those extra jump shooters around booker all right what's our tiebreaker between the kings and the mavericks um i don't really like talking about the Kings, so so let's go there (laughs) okay get them out of the way um i gave them a d plus i we've i've talked about this um more than once on the podcast so hopefully i'm not just like sounding like a broken record at this point but George Hill, Zach Randolph, and Garrett Temple are fourth, fifth, and sixth on the team in minutes per game. And it's gotten a little better lately. Um, guys like Darren Fox and Buddy Heald are trending upward in minutes. But I just I felt like it took way, way too long for them to do that. I'm still faulting them a little bit um, for their offseason. They went for this, like, add vets to the young core thing a little bit too early, I think. Um, it's And it, it, it's... As opposed to the Suns, there's just less for me to be excited about in terms of young talent with this team. Um, I'm not as sure about De'Aaron Fox as I am about. I mean, we we would say he's their premier young guy right now, right? Looking at guys who could turn into us, or you hoping will turn into a star. For yeah, sure. I mean, so that's that's Devin Booker on the Suns. So he's obviously not close um, to Devin Booker. I'm still like somewhat intrigued by Scalabissier. Uh, I like the that Buddy Keeled can shoot. I'm not sure he can do anything other than that, but there's <laughs> <laughs> there's just not not as much for me to be excited about uh, with this this roster. So I again I gave them a D something a D plus. That was maybe I'm maybe I'm even being kinder than I wanted to be, but that's where I am on the Kings. I gave them a C minus. 
maybe I'm being too generous there. They still do have a shot, although it looks like Phoenix has a comfortable hold on the worst defensive rating in the league. But the Kings are 29th in offensive rating. They're tied with the Chicago Bulls, so they could easily get to 30 there. They're 29th in defensive rating, and they're about a full point per 100 possessions in front of the Suns. Maybe it's too late. And then they, of course, have... Oh, no, they no longer have the worst net rating in the NBA. Congratulations to the Phoenix Suns, the worst defense and the worst net rating <laughs> in the NBA, while also having a bottom five offense. That makes that just sours me on them even more. But we are <laughs> we are on the Kings. It's so tough. Who's their best player right now? Bogdan Bogdanovich, probably. No, actually, that's, that's not, that's that's not one tough. Guy, that was a terrible I was going to say, uh, I should have thought of him when I was talking. He's He's more exciting. I mean, he's already 25, so that tempers it a little bit, but he might be more exciting to me than, than De'Aaron Fox, but continue. Yeah, they, I might be, I'm more excited for now. It looks like Frank Mason is better than, than De'Aaron yeah. Fox. I, it's like what happened to the Kings, was that seven or eight years ago when they took Jimmer at like 10 and Isaiah Thomas at 60 and, and Thomas wound up being their starting point guard. I still, I'm not as low on their young talent as you. I kill, I, I kill. Wow, I still kind of like La Bissier, and he's been shooting, albeit on modest volume, about 37 percent from three over his last 10 games. I don't look at anyone on this team, at least long term, and say who is going to be their primary shot creator. Is it going to be Bogdanovich? He looks a little hesitant to be that guy who's going to pull up and and face up and really go to work he seems more likely to defer if he can't get to the rim or he's just going to try and get to the rim buddy heald pulls up quite often he's just not efficient at doing it De'Aaron fox has tried and yes he's a rookie but it's certainly not encouraging that his effective field goal percentage on pull-ups is 38 Uh, frank mason shooting 48.6 percent on pull-up three-pointers this year Shout out to him. Well, and about again, Bogdanovich. He has an effective field goal percentage of almost fifty-four on pull-up jumpers, and he's third on the team in per games on that. So maybe it's him, but it's just there's a lot of just push and pull here. Should it be Buddy Heald who leads your team in pull-up field goal attempts? Should it be De'Aaron Fox? I just I don't know who is going to be this team's. Pri- you know, De'Aaron Fox is going to end up being their best distributor at one point. At least that's what you would hope. But who's just going to be their primary? Like that's the guy that's going to go get us a bucket. And I don't think they have that right now. That, that was another thing that bugged me about them playing the veterans so much early. Like, if you would have played Fox, Heald, and Bogdanovich more throughout the season, I think we would be closer to answers to those kind of questions. Yeah. And now, you know, and it's tough because now you're not necessarily seeing, because you waited so long, you're not seeing all these guys play together because you had De'Aaron Fox has missed I think he's missed a couple games or at least one game with stiffness in his lower back you've had Willie Coley Stein's been out for four games as he deals with lower back problems like the time to play all these guys together might have just passed you're also kind of tanking so if you start to play well with something you're immediately going to pull it so there were a lot of missteps and a C minus might be generous but I do think that again Given the situation, I'm not saying Dave Yeager has been a great head coach from that. His minutes distributions were so weird. But ever since they implemented the whole veterans are sometimes going to rest, they're not going to play as much, we've gotten to see more of the youngsters overall, even if it's not what we wanted. So a C-minus just seems fair. Now they've avoided finishing dead last in all those categories, which is basically an A-plus for, for them. <laughs> um, all right, the Dallas Mavericks. I, I gave them a C-minus, and... 
They have the same record as the Kings, 21 and 45. Um, I will defend them getting a better record than the Kings for me because Rick Carlisle is playing lineups that are bad because I think he kind of has to. Um, unlike the Kings, he's they've devoted a bunch of time to Dennis Smith, and I think in the long run that should help. And, and if it doesn't, at least you knew earlier um, what you've got in Dennis Smith. They got to kind of play Harrison Barnes too because they paid him a boatload of money in 2016. The thing that is impressive to me about the Mavericks is they they still field these lineups that are really good when they don't play those guys. Um, Dirk Nowitzki's played 611 minutes with Smith and Barnes, and Dallas is minus 13 and a half points per hundred possessions in those minutes. He's played 616 minutes without Dennis Smith and Harrison Barnes, and Dallas is plus 8.9 points per 100 possessions in those minutes. Um, maybe more than anything, this is me just highlighting the fact that Dirk Nowitzki is still a plus player at this point in his career. It's just crazy. Um, and I can think I, he's still shooting a career-high three-point percentage, too. Go career, ahead. Career-high effective field goal percentage is what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Career-high. So, that's ridiculous. It's amazing. He has turned himself into more of a catch-and-shoot guy. I talked about this on Twitter a few days ago, and it's. I think he also has a career low turnover rate because um, he's just he's just catching the ball and shooting it nowadays, and it's it's been really fun to watch him. And I give him a little bit of a pass because, like I said, I think they were kind of pigeonholed into these lineups with Barnes and Smith, and if it continues to be like this um, for much longer, at least you at least you've given yourself enough of a sample size that you can walk away from it with no regrets. Um, but hopefully it's it's not that, and they they sort of click in and get the chemistry they need and start to make winning plays together. But that's that's in a long way of saying I gave them a C minus. I gave them. What did I give them? I'm not even looking at it right now. Um, I gave them a C minus as well. I'm starting to. I, I agree with everything you said, and there have been bright spots even amid injuries. You're talking about Seth Curry hasn't played. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, that, that's been a loss for them because he's kind of the wing you'd like to develop. It bothers me that everyone seems so focused on getting them a big in the draft when Dirk is probably going to come back. You have Dwight Powell. maybe you can Dwight keep, Powell's been good. He's been very good. I'll never forget that some a bunch of people on Twitter, when I listed Harrison Barnes as the toughest contract for the Mavericks to move, told me that Dwight Powell's, Dwight Powell's contract was the toughest deal to move for them. And I was like, nah. Um... <laughs> And they don't they don't have like that premier wing yet though. Harrison Barnes is not it. Is, is and he's got to play the four too. Like that's yeah. if he's going to become a winning player, he's got to be a four. And that feels like. that kind of hampers the whole get them a big. Yeah. The other thing that I'm starting to get concerned with, and this ties into which is why I haven't used it yet. It ties into both the Mavericks and the Kings, and it ties into the Knicks too with Frank Nealakina. Is these point guards from the draft that we've kind of ticketed? for stardom or fringe stardom they're just the returns i don't want to make these sweeping proclamations when they're new to the nba but like the returns have not been great 90 players rookies 90 excuse me uh guards that are rookies have appeared in at least 1000 minutes during their rookie season posted a per under 13 and a true shooting percentage under 50 only four of them went on to make multiple all-star appearances they were terrell brandon 
Allen Houston, and for some reason, Tony Parker, and for Mark Price, I think, was the other one. That is, the odds aren't great then for Fox, Neil Aquina, and Smith all panning out. I will say this for Dennis Smith. Of that group, he does have the highest usage rate, which is kind of a big deal. You're looking at a rookie who has almost a 30%, uh, 29% usage rate. So then I decided to look at just all rookies in the three-point era uh, who've had it played more than 1,000 minutes and had a usage rate over 25. Dennis Smith has the sixth lowest true shooting percentage of that group, and his PER is the fourth lowest. <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier's is the lowest in the PER, by the way, as if, as if you wouldn't have been it's, able to guess that. It's amazing how often Emmanuel Moutier shows up. The, shows he also up has the, the worst true shooting percentage searches. of that group, so congratulations <laughs> to the Knicks. That, uh, one thing, and so the fourth lowest true shooting percentage of that group is Kemba Walker, which I think is kind of relevant there because Kemba Walker's a fantastic player now. I'm not saying that Dennis Smith Jr., isn't going to be a good basketball player. And again, he is shouldering an immensely heavy workload relative to typical rookies. But I just think when, again, looking at De'Aaron Fox too and Frank Nielakina, we might have to kind of reconcile the fact that maybe only one of these guys actually pans out. Yeah, um, the odds are certainly not in their favor. I was not attempting a Hunger Games reference there. Oh my god! Was am I jumping the gun on this though? That no, I don't think so. I the, when you're when you're that level of statistically bad, um, that that's a big hurdle to get over for the, sure. The others, but they are. I mean, they're all young I, I teenagers, get, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they are twenty. And but Dennis Smith Jr. has let and he's leading the Mavericks in shot attempts over their last ten games. He's played in nine of them, but he's. He's shooting 38.2% from the floor and 24.5% from three. It just... Yeah, I, it's not pretty. That's for sure. And his finishing around the rim this season has not been great. But again, like like I was saying, if if this continues, um, they probably wouldn't pull the plug in year two. But at least, at least you're gathering enough data to make a decision. It's still too early, Whereas, but I, I do think it's yeah. relevant. Yeah, I yeah for sure. Um... Okay, that brings us to the 29 and 36 Lakers. Are we already to the Lakers? Oh, boy, I'll Lakers. Let you, uh, I'll let you take this one first. I've taken the last few first. Is it bad that I gave them a B? Um, you shall see when I reveal my grade. <laughs> okay, they're, they're 13th in defensive rating on the season, which is incredible to me. They have I've they just have a lot of guys that I really like. Uh, it's amazing that Brandon Ingram has become this is he's not even entirely through his second season and he's dealing with an injury right now. I'm aware of that, but he's not even through his second season yet, and he's already one of the most divisive players in the NBA when you're talking about whether whether the Lakers have a building block or not. But he was much better before he was dealing with his hip injury. I'm in love with Josh Hart, who I've told you just reminds me of Cantavius Caldwell-Pope a little bit, who, Pope, by the way, has also been good for this team. He's a reason why they've been solid on the defensive end. Julius Randle has improved his one-on-one defense a great deal, and he can kind of be this offensive spark plug. Lonzo Ball, way better defensively than I think anyone ever 
anticipated. Um, and I, I just they're, – they're, Kyle Kuzma is still good. He's hit a rookie wall. He is just terrible on defense, and I'm not sure he's ever going to get it there. But, again, he's, he's a rookie, so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt there. A lot of people are worried about whether Lonzo Ball will ever become – a legitimate shot creator for himself is he just going to be this passer because then that puts kind of a ceiling and a cap uh, on his future in the NBA but I've just I like more about this team than I thought I would I, I enjoy watching the Lakers and there are you know I, Isaiah Thomas has not been great he's improved his shoot uh, three-point percentage since joining the Lakers which means that he's now shooting 32.3 percent from beyond the arc which is terrible <laughs> he is shooting 95 percent from the foul line though in Los Angeles that's that's fairly relevant they're just they're fun to watch I'm interested to see how they tackle Julius Randall's free agency but you're basically able to keep him now assuming he doesn't cost an incredible amount after you traded Jordan Clarkson they probably won't bring back Isaiah Thomas would be my be my guess but a, a team that is this peppy on on the defensive end already they they still need more spacing uh, i get that but the offense will come along you're relying on a lot of young guys to create your your offense for you when you look at Ingram when you look at Ball when you look at Kyle Kuzma i don't know that we could have then expected them to be anything more than 23rd in offensive efficiency I just I gave them a B. They've de- they've dealt with some injuries this season too, as they are now with Hart and Ingram and Ball. I am curious as to why they haven't been warned for not playing Luel Dang because the Bulls <laughs> were warned for not playing Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday. But I, I gave them a B. They're just I don't I, their whole future could end up just imploding because Magic and Rob Palinka are might screw them over by chasing free agents and preserving salary cap flexibility, but to a detrimental degree. But I I, I like the Lakers and. The the lineup they were playing before Ingram and Hart went down, their most used lineup for the last 10 games is still, after five appearances, KCP, Hart, Ingram, Lopez, and Randall, and it was blitzing opponents by more than 12 points per 100 possessions. And there's even, what was the other line? Oh, when you move in Lonzo Ball uh, for... Uh, when you excuse me, when you sub out Lonzo Ball for jo- Josh Hart in that lineup, they've been a plus thirty over those per one hundred possessions during their appearances over that same span. Small sample sizes again, but when you can play so many youngsters at the same time, you look at Ball, Ingram, and Randall with KCP and Lopez as your primary veterans, or Hart, Ingram, and, and Randall, and then you have KCP and Lopez again as your primary veteran. The fact that you can run that type of balance and still be fun and productive is is a big deal to me. I actually gave him a B plus. Nice. Um, so I I have no problems with you going that high with them. Um, the Lakers are eighteen and nine since January seventh. That's tied for the eighth best record in the league uh, in that stretch. Damn. And just to sort of emphasize the points you made about some of their young guys, this, these are some Lakers numbers since January seventh, and some of these just blow me away. Julius Randle is averaging 18 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 assists. He's shooting 56% from the field. Brandon Ingram, 17 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 50% from the field, 47% from 3. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 14 points per game, 48% from the field, 47% from 3. He's also averaging 6 rebounds. Lonzo Ball since January 7th, 12 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 43% from the field, um, 39 from 3. And then Josh Hart, another guy you mentioned, 9 points a game, 
50% from the field, 44 from three, five rebounds a game. Um, these guys are just suddenly balling for the last two months now. It's been slightly over two months. Um, yeah, like you, like you said, they're fun to watch. Uh, that This young talent is really coming together. They've reached a point where even if they whiff on LeBron James and Paul George, this is still a team that I think Lakers fans should be excited about. They could be competing for like a near 500 record or maybe slightly above 500 as soon as next year just by bringing all these young guys back. I, I, I'm ready to, to go that far with them. I think they have vastly overachieved what I thought they would uh, be coming into the season. And, you know, shout out to all those young guys and Luke Walton for that. They, another thing to note would be there, if, if we just went in order of record, they would be giving away a pick outside the top 10 right now. That's a loss, but it, at the same time, it's not, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's not as terrible. bad as losing. We, yeah. They could uh, honestly, with the Pistons and the Hornets, probably going to, they have an incentive to eventually tank their playoff hopes are just non-existent. The Lakers are probably going to end up giving away the number 12 pick. Which is, yeah, not nearly as bad as giving away four or five. No, it stinks because this is a deep draft. The one thing I wanted to ask you before we move on from the Lakers, though, with Brandon Ingram's improved shooting, do you kind of worry at all that he's only averaging 1.9 three-point attempts per 36 minutes? As Maybe this is some sort of an anomaly and he really is more last year's shooter when he was shoot when he hit 29.4 percent of his threes on about three attempts for 36 minutes which still isn't that much but at the same time it's not great he's improved his finishing around the rim he's shooting a lot better on long twos I don't want to see 20 percent of his shots come between 16 feet and the three-point line but he is shooting 43.2 percent on them and yet his mid-range game hasn't really developed he's he's stalemated between 10 and 16 feet and he's actually shooting 21 percent between three and 10 feet which is awful yeah I was actually going to mention while I was rattling off all those numbers that maybe some of this is just unsustainable shooting um but I, I feel like two months is an I mean yeah some of these guys might come back down to earth a little bit including Brandon Ingram but it's specifically in the case of Ingram, he's still really young too. So there's, there's time for him to improve as a shooter. And I think any, any time you can get a good sign at this point, it's, I I'll take it. Um, and then he's, the other thing that's in, intriguing to me about him is he's showing that he can do, he, he doesn't just have to be a scorer. Um, that little stretch where they basically had him playing point guard while Lonzo ball out, that was mm-hmm. very, very revealing to me that he can, basically run an offense and average, you know, five or six assists per game. That's, that's very encouraging. So I think it goes, my, my optimism with him goes beyond the shooting. And I, and I think he's still, even if this is sort of fake, I I think he still has time to figure things out. And again, it does help. Like you said, that he doesn't necessarily need to be a scorer. Hasn't improved, hasn't improved his playmaking out of the pick and roll a ton, but he just, he still draws in defenses with his drives and he's willing to defer, which helps before we move on. I think it's a good time to remind everyone about that promo code. If you go to mbamath.com slash shop and you can choose from any one of the designs that we have up on t-shirts, sweatshirts, long sleeve shirts, 
There's a bunch of great designs up there. We have ones that commemorate Russell Westbrook's triple-double season, Stephen Curry's record-breaking three-point season. We have LeBron James hitting the shot over LeBron James. We have LeBron James blocking Michael Jordan's on the backboard. We've got a unicorn series, and there will be more designs coming that we're hoping to push out soon, particularly over the offseason, but also soon in the regular season. Go to nbamath.com shop. Type in promo code Benno. You're going to get 15% off because you listen to Hardwood Knox. That, that, that's a good deal to me. So that, that is a killer, killer deal. All killer right. deal, as Andy said. <laughs> that brings us to Andy's least favorite team, the Utah Jazz. I gave the Jazz, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm being like I swear I, I'm not scared of giving them a bad grade just because I talk with you. I gave them an A minus because I, they're still tenth in the Western Conference. I'm just convinced that they're going to make the playoffs. They've been so good since just before the All Star break. Their some of their most used lineups are just really destroying uh, opponents. When you their starting lineup, when you take out Derek Favors and put in Jay Crowder, in the seventy six minutes that lineup has played over the past ten games for the Jazz, it's outscoring opponents by thirty one point two points per hundred possessions. That lineup is so dynamic. The fact that Ricky Rubio is just playing better to the point where he doesn't kill your offense is is huge for them. They've now moved up to the fourth on the season. Uh, thir- uh, yeah, four, they're tied for third with the Raptors in points allowed per 100 possessions. They've been first in defensive rating since Rudy Gobert came back. Their schedule to close the season is no longer among the easiest in the league because they've gotten a few of their cupcake games out of the way. But it's about middle of the pack, and it's the it's it's fine. They they've won games and they got to this point with this record, six games over 500 while dealing with injuries and while playing out the toughest schedule in the league. So I I fail I understand that the Western Conference's playoff race is a bloodbath, but I don't trust the Timberwolves are screwed without Jimmy Butler to me and, and with Derrick Rose, but we'll get to them. I just don't trust the Clippers. They've always been the easiest to remove. And the Nuggets have not shown nearly enough. I penciled in the Jazz as a six seed when we did playoff predictions on the pod. I penciled them in as the six seed again when I did official playoff predictions for Bleacher Report, 538 gives them an 85% chance of making the playoffs now, which is almost equal with the Timberwolves, by the way, Andy. That's very relevant that- to consider. So I, I'm i penciling them in for the playoffs. And the last thing I want to say on them, we talk about Gobert. We talk about, excuse me, we talk about Donovan Mitchell. We even talk a little bit about Jake, more about Jay Crowder, who, I don't know how you feel about this, is second on the team in shot attempts per game over their last 10. It's interesting. It's uh, He's shooting under 39%, so it's not too interesting. But Joe Ingles is just a fantastic basketball player. My God. Yep. Um, a minus. I believe I said it, but just in case, yeah. A minus. Uh, you, you mentioned a lot of the stuff I was going to mention. Um, still being in the playoff hunt with the schedule as hard as it was and Gobert missing 26 games is just massive. Um one thing that you mentioned to me the other day is I, one, one of the marks of a really, really good team is that the team is a plus no matter who is off the court. And Utah only has one player who, when he's off the court, the team has a negative net rating. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, and that's Royce O'Neal. Utah's minus 0.6 points per 100 possessions when he's off the floor. 
you you switch Royce O'Neal's name with anyone else on the team, and it's a plus. And that's that's really hard <laughs> to get to that point. That's some prime talk- Spurs Warriors level stuff. Yeah, and it's crazy that they're there and they're thirty six and thirty. Um, this is like the second or third year in a row that their their actual wins have been lower than their expected wins based on like point differential. Um, but I'm with you. I think I think they have outperformed expectations. Um, if 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 somebody had said Utah's going to lose their two leading scorers uh, Hayward and Hill from last season, and Gobert's going to miss. 26 games and they're still going to be an 85% chance to make the playoffs. Um, that would have sounded absurd before the season started. And the other thing is you said they're about even with Minnesota. That formula doesn't take into account the fact that Jimmy Butler's out. So, well, that was more to illustrate how far Minnesota's odds have plummeted while Utah's catching up. But yeah, totally. Yeah. That, that makes it even a stronger case for them. So I, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, I gave him a B plus. I don't know if I mentioned that, but hater. after hearing you and hearing me talk, I feel like I yeah, I feel like I might be a little bit of a hater. Yeah, I'm a ripper, good bloke for giving them an A minus, <laughs> and, and they and they deserve it. That, yeah, they, are they gonna in your mind? You, are you penciling them in as a playoff team? Are you there? I think so. Uh, Minnesota missing Jimmy Butler, I think it's huge, and like you said, we're probably gonna talk about that when we get to them. Um, and then, you know, there's three or four other teams, and it, I just – I don't know if I trust it, – it's, it's, it is hard for me to see them missing at this point, especially with how easy their schedule is from here on out. So they, they – and their tiebreaker situation, I have all the Western ones basically mapped out. They're in pretty good shape. They're, they control the ones against the Pelicans in Portland uh, with one game remaining. They actually faced the Pelicans as we're recording this. They've tipped off right now, but the Pelicans don't have Anthony Davis, so – that's a big one. So they're probably going to control that one. They've already they're down one to two against Minnesota, but they play Minnesota again on April first. We don't know if Jim, if Jimmy Butler's back. He rushed back if he's returned by April first. Yeah. So so they could end up winning that tiebreaker uh, because they should with the way Minnesota is kind of plummeting. I would think they'll end up with the better divisional record, although they are. Six and eight to Minnesota's nine and four. There might not be enough time to catch up. So maybe they lose that one. They've already lost the one to the Thunder. They've already lost the one unless they catch up in the divisional record, uh, which they could. They've lost the one to the Nuggets, but they control the one against the Clippers. So they probably have about, they have a pretty fairly good chance of winning four to five of the potential tiebreakers, which is a good spot to be in. For sure. Um, That brings us to, and I'm going to let you steer this conversation on them because you've had such strong thoughts on these Denver Nuggets <laughs> who um I just moved off to look at the tiebreaker page in this Google document. I, I remember I gave I don't remember. I gave the Nuggets a B minus for the season. I I I, I could probably go even I'm actually going to change it to a C plus now that we're live. I was going to say this is our uh this is going to be our biggest disagreement then, but the that makes I'm, it a little closer. The reason I'm actually changing it is because I, they didn't have Paul Millsap, which is why I was initially going to give them an a B minus. And to be in the playoff conversation at all, when you lose someone who was supposed to profile as your second best player, it is fairly okay at least, but you've gotten a better than expected performance for most of the season from Jamal Murray, who is still balling. Let's, I just, we need to point that out. Jamal, I keep, did you see how bad, uh, Lakers fans got pissed at him the other night. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that whole thing was hilarious to me. But yeah, keep going. I would like to see Jamal Murray shoot 
a little bit more, by the way. He's averaging under 11 shots per game over the Nuggets' last 10. I don't want to see Will Barton and Wilson Chandler averaging more shots than Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, um, when I watch the Nuggets, he's one of the only guys who pretty much anyone, when they get a pass from Jokic, is gonna, they're looking to shoot. But Murray passes up a lot of shots from Jokic. It's kind of a weird little phenomenon I've noticed. Yeah, I, I just I he and he still he's slashing efficiently. His his free throw rate is the thing that's declined when you're looking at his shooting percentages over the last ten. And this has just been basically the status quo. He's slashing fifty one, forty three, eighty four, and that free throw rate is kind of low compared to what he's been doing. So he's been good. Gary Harris leads the team in shot attempts over the last ten games, which I'm perfectly fine with because he he's a fantastic player. And we said that he was a, his extension was a litmus, litmus test for how ma- many people watch a ton of NBA when they were caught off guard by the money the Nuggets gave him. That extension, it's, he's probably at that point where he's not going to be a bargain uh, on the extension. What did he get? He got four years and $70 million, right? It was so long ago, I can't even remember. Uh, but he's going to be worth it. And you know what? When you're going to give it to someone who, I guess you wouldn't call him, he was four years and 84, excuse me, which I'm still fine with. He's 6'4", but he still guards like a wing. And that's just what wings are going to cost. So relative to some of these other wing contracts, you look at what Tim Hardaway Jr. got the other summer. If you're going to give Tim Hardaway Jr. more than $71 million, you're absolutely going to give Gary Harris $84 million. But the thing that's concerning for me with the Nuggets and that I'm going to let you get into in 10 seconds just they, they don't know what they're doing since Paul Millsap came back. And that starting lineup, which was one of the best statistically in the league before he went down, they cannot defend the Wilson Chandler, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic. All of a sudden, it's just it's terrible. They're minus four points per 100 possessions since Millsap came back. And they're lucky only because their offense has still been really good. Their defensive rating is almost 116. Again, five games is nothing, but 71 minutes is whatever, and it's gotten to the point where even Mike Malone, the change he made was he put Will Barton in the starting lineup instead of Wilson Chandler, and that lineup had not been very good this season to this point. Maybe that adds something. It's been better since Millsap uh, came back. If you sub out Barton for Wilson Chandler, that lineup has been outscoring opponents by plus 28.5 points per 100 possessions. I'm just not sure. We're still at the point over that sample size where their win over the Lakers could have easily have skewed that data. Okay. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I think this, it was definitely going to be our biggest disagreement when you had him at a B minus. It might be a little closer now. I gave him a D plus. That's still um, a pretty large disagreement. Yeah. I, I just think talent wise. Why a D plus? Like why the plus? <laughs> like why oh, not just know. a D? <laughs> um, Maybe we should just eliminate pluses and minuses altogether from this. No, but I, I just when you get that low, I almost <laughs> just like what's the plus? <laughs> well, I don't know. The fact that they're still contending for the playoffs, maybe I'll I'll, I'll go with that. Really quick um, before you go, since this is relevant to every team in this discussion, they have a forty-seven percent chance of making the playoffs according to to five thirty-eight. Their schedule that, their schedule from here on is about the same strength as the Jazz and, and the Timberwolves, so it's neither too difficult nor too hard. I just don't think they should be in this position. Um, no, they're ro- they still can't win on the road, really, and this a, a majority is, of their games remain away on the road. So they have a center who, when they compl- when they truly play through him, is like twenty points, twelve rebounds, and seven assists. It's almost a given. Um, 
he had a game right before the All-Star break where he had like 30 points, 17 rebounds, and 15 assists. Now that one's a little bit of an anomaly, but that's the level that he can get to. And it just blows my mind that four or five different occasions over the last two years, they've messed with that. They tried the Nurkic-Jokic thing uh, and gave up on it way uh, too late. Like they let that go for way too long. Uh, same thing with Plumley, And now they're doing weird stuff with Millsap. And I still think that the Millsap-Jokic pairing can work. But they've got to... <laughs> They've got to stop doing things that take the ball out of Jokic's hands. Uh, Millsap, I think, I, I just looked this up the other day, so hopefully I'm not like misquoting it, but I think he uses like three post-ups a game or around there and two isolations per game. He's in the 20th percentile as a post-up scorer, and he's in the 40th percentile as an isolation scorer. There's, there's no reason to waste those possessions. Just cut around Jokic like, like Harris and Murray do. Um, I, 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 coming into this season, I just thought this team should be like clearly one of the best offenses in the league. They shouldn't be going through some of the lulls that they go through. They should not be in this position where there's a, a decent chance that they're going to miss the playoffs. I just feel like they have underachieved um, for the second year in a row. I think they slightly underachieved last year. I think it's more of an underachievement this year, so that's why I'm going with the D+. And I'll say I gave them a plus just because, yeah, they do still have a chance to get into the playoffs. I'm going to ask you at the end of actually, once we get out of the fringe playoff teams, who you think are going to be the two left off at this point. But uh, <laughs> that just because I feel like it changes. You have, if you still think it's, it's the same. Well, it's impossible. Won. It's impossible for it to stay the same week after week. I mean, the, this race is crazy. It's nuts, and I love it. Yeah, it is fun. It's, it's definitely fun to pay attention to. Um, does that bring us to the Clippers? It does. I gave the Clippers, <laughs> I am almost, I gave them an A+. Plus. Um, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, okay. I So maybe I was a little bit high on them. A, li- a little bit high? Here, here's my justification. <laughs> I'm they, sorry. Go ahead. They haven't had Blake Griffin for most of the season, and they traded him away a couple weeks ago. This is the guy that was like their franchise player for a few years. Um, they traded Chris Paul. Uh, maybe this A plus is just relative to expectations because I, especially after the Blake Griffin trade, I didn't think they would even be sniffing the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, they also haven't had Daniel Gallinari for now most of the season. They haven't had Patrick Beverly for most of this season. Um, Here's here's the list of guys who have at least one win share for the Clippers. Tyrone Wallace, Milos Teodosic, Sindarius Thornwell, Wesley Johnson, uh, Montrez Harrell. I, they're, they're doing more with less than I think maybe any team in the NBA. And like we've said a few times on this podcast, this is maybe Doc Rivers' best coaching performance of his career. Um, this is like a hodgepodge group that – I think if you had rattled off some of these names before the season and said they're going to be in the hunt for the number eight seed and these are their main guys, um, it would have been pretty surprising, I think. The only guy who's left from that core that went to the playoffs year after year after year is DeAndre Jordan. Um, I, I think for them to be in the position they're in is is really impressive. Like I said, after the Blake Griffin trade, I thought they were done. I that's a pretty justifiable A plus as, as far as that goes. I gave them a B plus 
pretty much for all of the same reasons that you gave them an A+. I guess I just didn't weight them as much. This has definitely been, to me, the best, one of the best, if not the best, coaching jobs from Doc Rivers. The fact that they're doing this, they're not, like, their defense, I believe, is still 16th in points allowed per possessions, and they don't have a lot of good defensive talent. I keep expecting them to get worse, but noticeably and for a long period of time, and they've had some ebbs and flows, but it, it just doesn't happen yet. I believe DeAndre Jordan's been a little bit exposed as a defensive anchor when you've given him so few weapons, defensive pests on the perimeter, but they just, they keep grinding out wins. They keep treading water on defense. I would like to see Montrez Harrell play a little bit more. I am so interested in his free agency this year. He's been awesome. There, Are you ready for this stat? I found this so crazy. So over the past two seasons, eight NBA players, minimum 1,800 total minutes, are averaging at least 15 points, eight rebounds, two assists, and 1.5 blocks per 36 minutes. Here are the eight. Giannis Attentacumpo, Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Pau Gasol, Nurkic, and Montrez Harrell. Huh. The, the, I don't think this team is going to make crazy. Yeah. This team lacks the necessary star power to me to make the playoffs, but I, I also have a hard time removing them from the picture. So Every time I like tune in to their game or check them uh, in the scores, they, they just keep winning too. Yeah, I just, I don't I I don't understand it, but I I don't think they're gonna be I think they're gonna be one of the two teams that gets left out. We've already done the Spurs, they, and they've been good by the way. They're just they're scrappy and they're fun to watch. And the fact that they're doing all this without Avery Bradley, by the way, who wasn't good in Detroit, but you plug him into this team, and maybe you don't ask him to try and create as much. Maybe you get him to take some more better shots. Then you know, uh, he would have been an asset to them. All right, with the Clippers out of the way, and we've already done the Spurs, we are on to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who, as we said before, they're given a 85, 86% chance, excuse me, by 538 to make the playoffs. But as Andy pointed out, that does not include the fact that they have lost Jimmy Butler, which is a huge deal. They're only two and three since they lost him but it's just I don't know it's not convincing to me they just signed Derrick Rose and now Tom Thibodeau has basically said that he's going to try out some two-point guard lineups which okay fine I Derrick Rose is not the type of player you can roll out with another point guard in theory he should be because he's I always forget that are you like this that, that Derrick Rose is 6-3 I always just like for some reason think of him as 6 yeah Probably because he's so bad as a pick-and-roll passer, it seems like... He doesn't sure. really play bigger either, at least not now. Right, and so the issue for the Timberwolves is they've now lost three straight as we're recording this, and they've had these weird rest periods, by the way. They like they played Friday, March 2nd against the Jazz. They lost, then didn't play again until Thursday against the Celtics. Then they again lost. They'll play against Golden State on Sunday, tonight, and Washington on Tuesday, then they have off until Saturday when they play the Spurs. After the Spurs is the Rockets. Then the Clippers, who we've already pointed out, have been just scrappy and fun and upstarty. Then they get a gimme against the Knicks. But then they face the Sixers. That's a really, you know, looking at it in sum, 
we're talking about a really ridiculously tough 10-game stretch that they've been playing through, and they'll probably be, I fully expect them to be 1-9 and or 2-8 and at the end of it, and their margin for error, uh, wow, error is just so thin when looking at this Western Conference playoff race. They're two wins in front of the closest lottery team, which is the Denver Nuggets, and the Jazz, too. That's not, I just don't see how they're going to make the playoffs when Jimmy Butler isn't going to come back. They actually have a positive net rating. They're four point, plus 4.4 per 100 possessions since he was injured. But that is ridiculously inflated by those blowout wins, initial two blowout wins over the Sacramento Kings and the Chicago Bulls. You want to isolate just the last three games, and they have been, their defense has been terrible, One almost a 112 uh, defensive rating and there's just no there's no clear issue to sor- solve it Carl Anthony Towns has been good but if you break down the minutes he's had to play without Jimmy Butler this season it, it's just it's not great and the, the last thing I'll say just to reiterate how valuable Jimmy Butler is to this team when he's been on the court this season the Minnesota Timberwolves are outscoring opponents by 7.8 points per 100 possessions which would rank in the top three of net ratings for the league for the season, um, that's a that's a monstrous deal. When he steps off, though, they are they immediately get outscored by six point six point or six points per hundred possessions. So we're talking about this huge swing. It, it's almost fifteen points essentially, fourteen fifteen points when Jimmy Butler's out, and that gap I fully again I fully expect to increase when you look at some of the games that they just have to play coming up so i i don't i just don't know really what to make of their their future long term but i don't expect them to get into the playoffs oh, yeah I that last i'm sorry i gave them a c minus just because i don't think they built this roster to navigate something like this and, and that's a problem they don't take a lot of high quality looks their their defense is just in the half court, just the missed rotations and just the, how you need both Butler and Gibson on the floor to, to really cover up for, for everybody else, that stuff just concerns me. And, and Tom Thibodeau's coaching job, when you look at, and presidential job signing Derrick Rose, that, that, that stuff all just rubs me the wrong way. That last stat you cited was the biggest one I had, um, that they're plus 7.8 with Butler and minus 6 without him. That they, they are a mess <laughs> without Jimmy Butler. They they're essentially the non-playoff team that they were the couple years before when he's not gone. He he was an organization changing player. Um and it's it is really hard for me to imagine them staying in this fight if he's out for as long as he's supposed to be out for. And if they rush him back like you mentioned they might earlier, that's that's another. That's a different kind of problem, because um, then maybe you you mess him up long term. So there are a ton of issues with this team. Um, signing Derrick Rose, <laughs> I feel like I sh- I should maybe just give them an F for that alone. <laughs> um, but we haven't really seen how they'll use him yet. Maybe maybe he'll just sit on the bench and and maybe he'll revive his basketball life with them. Who knows? I I doubt it, but. Um, there's just yeah, there's a lot of things with this team that makes me think. I, I think I predicted the Spurs and Thunder would miss before the Butler injury. Um, the Butler injury absolutely changes that. I, that's that team almost feels like a lock <laughs> missing the playoffs at this point. And then you just have to pick one other one. 
Uh, and that's that's the hard part for me now. But I think they are almost certainly going to be on the outside looking in. I gave them a C, maybe just for the body of work getting to the point that they are right now. Um, I could easily go lower after listening to both of us kind of explain our grades for them. And I think that brings us to the Thunder. Am I missing somebody? Nope. No, that's Thunder. Um, <clears throat> I gave the Thunder a C as well. And as, as I say that, that's another team I think I could maybe go even lower on. Um, when Paul George and Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony share the floor, I, I looked this up a couple days ago, so it could be a little different now, but OKC is plus basically six points per hundred possessions with those three. When it's Westbrook and George and no mellow, they're plus 12 points per hundred possessions. Um, He's just he's been sort of the odd man out all season long. Uh, the starting lineup has been good with him in there, but I think that has a lot more to do with the fact that he's playing with, you know, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams. Um, I feel like it's probably time for him to be a sixth man. I don't know if they can do that at this point. I don't know if they have somebody who's like a surefire replacement for him at this point in his career. Um, and maybe it sounds like I'm pinning an entire grade on the Thunder for <laughs> for one player, but that's another team just talent-wise, at least at the top, it seemed like they should be more comfortably in the playoffs, um, kind of the same thing I said about Denver. But they are, you know, like we've said a couple times uh, in this podcast and in previous episodes, they have a very real chance of of missing out. And when you have the reigning MVP and Paul George – um, and Steven Adams, it's, it, you just wouldn't have thought coming into the season that it would be this dicey for them at this point in the season. I gave them a C plus everything you said again, as per usual, I agree with, I do think some of this seems to be a coaching problem with Billy Donovan. I believe similar to what happened with Victor Oladipo last year, he's kind of missing an opportunity with Carmelo Anthony because the numbers and it's funny that you talked about uh, the numbers with when like Paul George and Russell Westbrook get to play uh, without Melo but when Melo plays without Westbrook George and I put Robertson in this because I don't want the data to be skewed by a player who wasn't available the Thunder are a plus 15 points Pro 100 possessions. So you know, more more evidence that he should maybe be the guy like running the second unit. And I right, and so I understand that Billy Donovan probably, and it's not probably. It seems what the Thunder have done this season is he wants to make sure that Paul George is getting his reps as the guy because you Paul George has played 379 minutes without Robertson, Westbrook, and Anthony to Anthony's 86. That's almost a 300-minute difference, and neither one of these guys has, has dealt with, or excuse me, Anthony hasn't dealt with an, a serious long-term absence that would skew the data. And by the way, those minutes that Paul George has played without Westbrook, Robertson, and Anthony, the Thunder are minus 13.1 points per 100 possessions. The, the, the level of competition they're going up against in those units, it could vary. Maybe he's more inclined to let Paul George go up against harder teams by himself than Anthony, but... Paul George fits alongside other players more than Carmelo Anthony's game does. You can Paul George is a better passer when he's on the attack. Anthony's a very good touch passer, but he's never made those pass like those really good passes to the corners on drives. He he doesn't cut 
very well or often at all. Pull Melo quickly. And I was watching that Spurs-Thunder game. They kept Westbrook and Paul George and, and Anthony in together until like the three-minute mark of the first quarter. Just pull Anthony quickly. Let him start because the starting unit, depending on who you're playing, those guys can still be effective together. But then run him out with bench-heavy combinations and maybe even bench-heavy combinations that include Steven Adams so that you still have that rim-protecting buffer. He's still that guy that can anchor in offense by himself but needs to be by himself. And particularly against second units or second unit heavy lineups, you're not going to run into a problem with Melo as your first option. I would think that they should just go to more mellow on his own than Paul George on his own, if only because Paul George's skill set is built more to just be the number two guy than it is for Anthony. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And I think it's it's been um, far, it's far too deep into the season for them to have not tried that <laughs> at this point. Um, all right, do you have anything else on the Thunder? Nope. That takes us to the Pelicans. Who, by the uh, way, as, a, as another may culpa, is a mistake of mine. Anthony Davis is playing against the Jazz, who are, they tipped off while we were recording this. They are, the, Utah is just waxing New Orleans right now. Davis doesn't appear to be playing very well. He uh, is one of four from the floor, and like pretty much all of New Orleans' starters, a minus 10 through it's bare the first quarter isn't even over yet so just anthony davis is already back from his ankle injury i'm wondering whether he's actually back back though hopefully i hope you didn't just jink my jinx my jazz um okay the pelicans i so i gave them an a um this is another one that i'm a little surprised to read (laughs) when did you do these grades that you were surprised that you're surprised oh a couple hours ago um so here's my justification on the Pelicans. They were starting to play pretty good before DeMarcus Cousins went down. Um, and when he did, I, I, that, this is another team that I think was like kind of dead in the water at a certain point in the season. With the Clippers, it was the Blake Griffin trade. And with the Pelicans, it was the DeMarcus Cousins injury. And they have kind of made a little surge of their own uh, since Cousins went down. And I think rightfully so. We've given most of the credit to Anthony Davis for that. His video game numbers <laughs> over these last, you know, it's been over a month now. Um, they're almost hard to believe when you see them. But those those ones have been brought up so much. I thought I would highlight basically the number two in this stretch, which is Drew Holiday, who obviously hasn't been as big um, and just like eye-popping with the numbers as Davis has. But Drew Holiday is averaging 21 points, seven assists, four rebounds, a steal, and a block uh, since DeMarcus Cousins went down. Those are those are really impressive numbers, especially for a six three six four guard to be getting a block a game. Um, he's doing a little bit of everything, just like Anthony Davis is. It's kind of crazy when you combine <laughs> their two numbers. They're basically accounting for like half the team's production between those two guys. So I'm I'm impressed with the fact that they are still not just in the playoff hunt. They have they have now separated themselves from that clump at the back end, at least a little bit. Like, there's still a chance the Pelicans could miss. But I think, um, do you still have those 538 odds pulled up? Yes. They're higher than the Jazz, aren't they? You have to, you really have to listen to this. The Thunder, 88% chance of making the playoffs. The Pelicans, 87%. Timberwolves, oh, wow. 86%. Jazz, 85%. The Spurs are at 55 our own, by the like, way. We didn't mention that. If we apply our own little um, 
math to the to wolves. I think we can knock theirs down quite a bit and maybe boost the others a little bit. But the fact that they're still like almost a 90% chance to make the playoffs and the fact that they've run off all these wins um, since Cousins went down and, and Holiday and Davis have been so good, that's that's why I landed on an A for them. Um, I'm trying to find it and hope I didn't, I did not accept it. So Drew Holiday has been, um, amazing this year. I'm not here to deny that. I did, however, catch some crap because I posted, I took like a bunch of big names. I was writing an MVP column and showing the net rating impact for them. A team's net rating with a player versus a team's net rating without a player. People were mad that I didn't put Drew Holiday among the 35 players I selected. I, first of all, don't think... I picked people over him that didn't deserve to be there. Drew Holiday's a better player than Devin Booker at this point, but Booker's just more relevant when you're talking about most important players. I also wasn't just discriminating. I left off Clay Thompson, Otto Porter, just guys that were number twos or, or number threes a lot. It was just this innocent, it tried to be an innocent exercise, and, and some Pelicans fans in my mentions got bent out of shape when it was retweeted into their feed. I want to point out, though, while he's been spectacular, he would have ranked first on that list, was their gripe. That's great. He's The units that don't include Anthony Davis for the Pelicans have been uh, annihilating opponents during the post-Cousins injury period. Fantastic for Drew Holiday. I'm about to say something even nicer about him from there. However, their loss to the Wizards without him on Friday night, like, that's just... I'm not trying to use that to denigrate Drew Holiday, but that's why he wouldn't be in that conversation because you don't want him as the best player on your team. Like when you have to play without Anthony Davis. That's how important Anthony Davis is, can be the number one guy when you're going up against the most ridiculous lineups. And I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to detract from Drew Holiday, who I've been more impressed with his uh, defense than his offense this season. He's always been a bigger guard for, for a point guard and has been okay to, to good on that side of the floor. But he seems like he's been spectacular this year and the the effort level is just there half court full court whatever and I was looking before I was one shocked that he's still been able to guard so many pick and roll ball handlers despite the fact that he has technically played a lot of his minutes at the two I believe some of them have even come at the three but there are 69 players who have defended at least 175 pick and roll ball handler possessions Drew Holiday is holding opponents to a 37 effective field goal percentage. That ranks as the fourth best in the league among that huge group of players. He's been great on defense. I would consider giving him an all-defensive vote this year when you're looking, uh, when when you're just looking at that ballot and the, and given how the defensive performances of other guards. But I, I think he might just deserve some consideration there. Also, shout out. Do you want to know, can you name the three people who rank in front of him, Andy? In front of Drew Holiday in that little split. Uh, Roberson? No. You're you're probably not even going to guess it, so I'm just going to third place, Stephen Curry. Oh. Who's always been, he's not a great defender, but he's fine within the Warriors' scheme. Yeah. Jalen Brown is number two. Number one. Give me number one. Frank Nielakina. Oh, your boy. 
your boy who's playing behind Emmanuel Moutier. Please, let's – he's been starting some <laughs> games, but let's not – anyway, we'll move on from there. But So I gave – The future the, of the Knicks, Emmanuel Moutier. I, I gave the Pelicans a B plus. I, I do think they'll make the playoffs. And Drew Holiday has been spectacular. Uh, Rondo has not hurt them nearly as much as he was before. He's still just a terrible defender. Miller has been a fantastic signing. For them, he still gets overpowered defensively a lot, but he helps them space the floor on the offensive side. And Emeka Okafor, we all know that story. He technically has a bigger net rating impact than Drew Holiday. Uh, just he, The sample size is just ridiculously small. Miritich has been finding a shot a little bit more, and I do believe Etwan Moore is probably one of the 10 to 15 most underrated players in basketball right now. All right, the Blazers. Um, I, I haven't just was like super generous with the Western conference as opposed to the East, but I feel like the a is shouldn't be as surprising with the blazers. Um, they're 40 and 26. They're an outside shot at a 50 win season. They only have to go 10 and six from here on out to get to 50. Um, another team who coming into the season. And I, I think I've even said this in the season on the podcast is I, I just don't see a ton of talent on the roster beyond Lillard and McCollum. And they are almost a playoff lock at this point. Um, if they get to 50 wins, I'm sure they'll have the number three seed. I don't I don't think anybody predicted the Blazers finishing as high as third before the season started. Um, a lot of it has to do with Damian Lillard, of course. This is. Uh, you know, people have talked about him as an MVP candidate. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but he has been very, very good. His current ranks in the entire NBA, he is seventh in box plus minus, ninth in win shares per 48, uh, ninth in player efficiency rating, and 17th in real plus minus. What is he um, in TPA? That I don't know. I'm going to find out for you. He's sixth in TPA. NBA yeah. total. Six. That's like. I never would have predicted him to be in the top 10. So, I mean, yeah, we can look at five different numbers, only one of them outside the top 10. I, I, I think it's safe to say um, if he's if he's not a top 10 player this season, he's certainly in the conversation. And this is a, a good example of how far real superstar power can take you because the, the Blazers, like I said, they have the inside track at number three, which that just – blows me away. I mean, even like a month or two ago, I wouldn't have been able to predict that. So, um, I'm a lot more comfortable with my a for this team than I was for the the Clippers or the Pelicans. The Blazers do feel, I gave them an a minus two. We're not far off all then at there. The Blazers do feel like a lock. 538 gives them a 98% chance of making the playoffs and project. Yeah. They'd have to completely melt down. Projects them to win 49 games too. So to sniff that 50-win mark. Yeah. Their schedule here isn't particularly tough at all. Uh, it, it, it's the seventh hardest in the league, but when you look at that relative to the Western Conference, it's the, it's the sixth hardest in the West, which just shows you how normal that ske- strength of schedule kind of is for the Western Conference. Damian Lillard, I, I don't want to step on the toes of too much that you've done, but he's been he's been just absolutely absurd in the clutch when you look yeah. at, I was looking at the other day. So over the Blazers' last twenty-six games, uh, they've gone into the crunch time eleven times, I believe. Uh, maybe I should actually update this because I, you know it's still eleven times. They're seven and four in those games. Damian Lillard is shooting fifty-seven percent overall, seventy-five percent on threes, six of eight 
and he's he's a plus sixteen deal, and he's he's dealt out seven assists in those thirty nine minutes. So you're looking at just under seven assists per thirty six minutes in crunch time. There, he's he's been so good for them, and to climb to fifth in total points added, I actually counted wrong before. He's now fifth. His defense is so much better. His one on one defense, he doesn't get killed on screens. What's really stood out to me. Um, for the Blazers, though, and I'm not sure if this is hot takey, and I don't even mean to throw Nurkic under a bus, who has been a little bit, I don't know if I want to say better or less detrimental to the team of late. I I don't think the Blazers should bring him back, and I'm all in on the Zach Collins Ed Davis pairing. I want to see Collins more at center because he's played a lot of minutes alongside Ed Davis, kind of as a safety net. He's been earmarked as the de facto four. But these two have just, for the Blazers, have been huge. When when they're on the court since uh, January 16th, so the Blazers, they've appeared in 23 games. The Blazers are 18-5 and five and plus 10.8 points per 100 possessions with those two. A, a fantastic offensive rating because you have Zach, Zach Collins who can pick and pop, or you could just sit him outside the arc and let Ed Davis roll to the basket off screens. And this isn't really an anomaly. For this season, the Blazers are plus 7.6 points per 100 possessions when they're playing Davis with Collins. And that is just markedly better than if you're going to put Nurkic with Ed Davis. The Blazers for the season... They barely go to that combination, first of all, and are minus 14 points per 100 possessions. Play Nurkic and Collins together, and they're they're minus 25.8 points per 100 possessions. Those are ridiculously small sample sizes because they don't go to those combinations much. Ed Davis and and Nurkic have actually only played together in, in five games this season. But for the Blazers to be where they're at with just so many limitations, particularly on offense when you look at the shooters really outside Damian Lillard, and CJ McCollum, it, it's it's fantastic. We're calling them a pl- um, a playoff formality as they deserve to be. And it's like you said, I don't think anyone predicted they would sniff f- fifty wins this year. If I had to hazard, I would say a ton of people probably picked them as one of the teams to miss the playoffs in this Western yeah. Conference fray, especially um, before the season started. Yeah, for sure. Um, just before we get to the final two teams, we'll for another time just remind you that if you go to nbamath.com/shop. Check out all our t-shirt designs there, long sleeve shirt designs, whatever. Put in the promo code Benno, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. NBA Math has been our sponsor for quite some time, and now we have the ability to give you a promo code. So use it, Benno, B-E-N-O. And with that, we move on to the Warriors, who are still just, they're so good that they're boring. I'll let you take it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I actually, I think I put a tweet out that had a poll maybe a month or so ago that was like, I think all I said was, do you still enjoy watching the Warriors? I think it was about 50-50, um, which was actually higher for the yes than I thought it would be. Because it is, like you said, it's just kind of, <laughs> we've seen the same thing from them for a few years now. Um, did you see my tweet about Stephen Curry per 36 minutes when Durant is not on the floor? No, I did not. This was just like a day or two ago. When Kevin Durant is not on the floor, Stephen Curry averages 40 points per 36 minutes and has a true shooting percentage near 70. I mean, damn. (laughs) So, yeah, it's insane. Um, 
Highest Maybe. true shooting percentage of his career this year still, right, for Curry? I know, it's crazy. Yeah, I just looked that up the other day, too. I, I think they might be slightly more exciting, as crazy as this is, like, to say, if they were still the pre-Kevin Durant Warriors. That's just that's just my personal opinion. Um, I gave them an A. They're 51 and 15. It's It's tough to pick apart what they're doing right now. I think we have both talked about their bench maybe being a little bit weaker this year. So I was actually like looking stuff up for this episode, trying to to point out weaknesses. Second um, net rating for the bench, right? I think. Yeah, and their their bench is still pretty good. Uh, if you if you take Durant, Curry, and Thompson out of the equation, everybody else on the team shoots about thirty two percent from three, which is not good. And that, I think that maybe is a real weakness, but. Everybody else also has a a 55.7 effective field goal percentage, and the league average is 52.2. They just they so get, even even sorry, without those top three shooters, it's like <laughs> they're still loaded. I think they're still going to be fine in the playoffs. Um, the Rockets have gotten to a point where I wouldn't be shocked if they beat the Warriors in a series, but I'm definitely still picking the Warriors. Yeah, they're, I gave them an, an A, too. Their transition defense has ebbed and flowed this year, but they're all kind of just picking it up now that we're later in the season. And despite what Draymond Green says, Clay Thompson did say they care about the number one seed. I think Stephen Curry did as well, and it seems like they're kind of playing for it. Andre Godala's picked it up uh, over his last few performances, so that that's going to be a big deal for them because his, he's still, his inability to shoot the basketball, like to take jumpers this year, has been huge for them. They have to hope that his left wrist brain, which is kind of, or not kind of, it has forced him out of the last two games, isn't a long-term thing for him. But he was shooting 40% on threes over his previous eight games, their last 10 games, before his injury. Very small volume, but if he can, if you have to guard him on the perimeter, that's a big deal. But like you said, their weaknesses are just so, they're so thin that it, it almost doesn't matter. If they're going to get back after live rebounds or after committing a turnover on defense, they're almost impossible to beat. And the other thing I just want to add on Stephen Curry to reinforce the point that he is Golden State's best player, Kevin Durant has played 164 minutes without Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, or Curry on the floor. The Warriors are a minus four points total, just a minus four points total. Stephen Curry has played only 49 minutes without Thompson, Durant, and Green, so as the lone star. The Warriors are plus twenty two total. <laughs> that's that's nuts. His and the his other thing too is, is crazy. Durant's efficiency um, takes it, it gets a pretty big boost when he's on the floor with Curry too. I mean, he is clearly the engine still. And that's not to take anything away from Kevin Durant. It's just yeah. Stephen Curry is more important to their identity. He, if Kevin Durant's the better individual player, just because of his versatility on defense, you look at what he's doing. Draymond Green leads the Warriors both in isolations defended and shots contested at the rim. Durant is second in both categories. So he's the more versatile player. He can get off tougher... Well, he can't... I don't want to say he can get off tougher shots, but he's the guy you can go to to shoot over people uh, inside the arc with the game on the line. But Stephen Curry is, to me, clearly more indispensable to them. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, Unless you have anything else on the Warriors, that gets us to the number one, at least for now, seeded Houston Rockets, who I gave an A-plus to. Um, Shocking. (laughs) I thought they'd be good. I I didn't think they would be Warriors-level good, at least in the the regular season. They have, um, let me count real quick, one, two, three, four, ten lineups um, 
10 three-man lineups that include both James Harden and Chris Paul. The only one that's a minus is Tarek Black, and that lineup's only played 39 minutes. As long as James Harden and Chris Paul are on the floor, uh, this team is just destroying opposition. Um, Capella Harden-Paul is plus 13.8. Ariza Harden-Paul plus 10.7. Harden-Paul-Tucker plus 11.9. Harden-Paul and Bob Mute plus 29.3. Harden-Paul-Gordon plus 27.4. They they are just destroying people with those two on the court. I think this stat has been mentioned over and over and over, but they've still only lost one game as long as they have Harden-Paul and Capella in the lineup. Um, it's not just two a after dominant... that loss to the Raptors. Did they miss Capella that game? Oh, you know what? You're right. Um, they'll make that two. I'm glad you caught that. Um, but anyway, just a dominant, dominant regular season team. I figured they'd be pretty good. I thought some of the questions about Paul and Harden fitting together were a little overblown, um, but they have vastly exceeded even my expectations. Yeah, they got an A-plus for me as well. And this is – I mean, it's related to the Rockets – I wouldn't mind to see a Rockets-Raptors NBA Finals after watching that game on Friday night. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, granted, Those are two really fun teams for sure. Granted, the Rockets fell behind by a ton, but they were just able to to like fight back. That, that game was fantastic. It, and that's maybe the two deepest teams in the NBA right now. Yeah, and I have to wonder if the Rockets is potential death lineup because they've only played Tucker, Luke and Bob Moot, Trevor Ariza, Harden, and Paul in two games this year, and they barely it, it was for like a, a couple minutes each. So we don't have the sample size. But when you play Luke and Bob Moot, Tucker, and Ariza together this year, the Rockets have been just basically uh, otherworldly. Wouldn't even do a justification. They're a plus twenty. <laughs> they're a plus twenty nine point four points per 100 possessions in the 189 minutes that those three wings have played together. You throw Harden and Chris Paul with them in theory, that lineup, it's just as intriguing, if not more so, than Golden State's death squad, which is only just starting to play better, by the way. They they weren't a minus, but they were barely a plus for a while. Now they've just kind of run opponents off the floor since the All-Star break. The big thing for me is... They still, Houston still needs to find just a little crunch time balance. And I'm not sure if it's because they've spent so few games in crunch time that the dynamic isn't quite hashed out yet. But down the stretch of Friday's loss to the Raptors, it can't be all James Harden and everything. Like Chris Paul has to get in there as well. Paul even had a comment after the game about it. And if they can strike that balance, which I believe that they can, they've been dominant in crunch time all year, but I still think there are some warts there to work out, particularly in a playoff setting when you're going to have to play in closer games, not only more frequently, but teams will have had time to adjust to you. That That's going to need some work, but they'll probably get there. And this isn't a knock against Mike D'Antoni, but the coaching in a series is going to be interesting to watch because he some of the decisions he made last year, even down the stretch of the regular season when you're playing Harden so much when he was going for the MVP award, did it come back to bite them in, in the ass against the Spurs? You have to wonder that. And he was clearly outcoached by Greg Popovich in that series as well. Uh, the last thing I just want to add, James Harden has been, I just, I don't, I'm losing words to describe how good that James Harden has been. There just, there aren't any anymore. I, I think the MVP field is kind of painted, painted as more wide open at times just because we have these guys like Lillard and Davis who seemingly burst onto the scene, or you have Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
he was hot. He was the favorite to start the season and cooled off. You have to include LeBron James. But Harden is, at this point, it would be a shock if if he really didn't win. And he is, there are just things that I'm doing when I'm watching, like his step-back three-pointers this year. He's shooting 44.7% on step-back three-pointers. That's crazy. And he his defense has been so much better when he's been able to yeah, set he's, up the uh, half court. He's in the 82nd percentile of isolation defense and 92nd percentile of post-up defense. Yeah, that, I was going to say, some people have highlighted that post-defense, and he's actually defending a lot of post-ups too, right? There's a decent volume there. 14% of all his defensive possessions come against post-ups, and he's yeah. now in the 93rd percentile, so it's changed wow. a little bit since I since I was even writing about. So, I, again, he's not a great defender, but... That's huge, and he's my MVP now. And the whole the the only thing you could really detract him for is he has Chris Paul, so the the net rating impact is going to be skewed since the Rockets can throw out CP3 when they don't have Harden on the court. At the same time, I think his case is further buoyed by how well the Rockets played during earlier in the season when Chris Paul w- was dealing with injuries. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we've. Uh wrapped it up right we did we kept it under 90 minutes so you're welcome (laughs) to everybody who dealt with an hour and 50 minute podcast last time congratulations to us um if you want to gripe about any of the grades that we gave the western conference teams you know where to find dan on twitter it's at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e i'm at andrew d bailey the show's at hardwood knox the sponsor is at nba underscore math and again if you go to nbamath.com, um, not only will you find some really cool stats that you're not going to find anywhere else, stuff like TPA, which Dan referenced uh, earlier in the show, stuff like fats, which you, if you follow me on Twitter, you see uh, some cool stuff with fats. At least I think it's cool. Um, not only are you going to find those exclusive stats there, you will find the NBA Math store, which has some very unique T-shirt designs. Again, not not anywhere else on the internet. And now if you enter the promo code Beno or Beno, B-E-N-O, you get 15% off those shirts or anything else in the NBA math store. So use that promo code, um, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. That all helps us, uh, of course, steal phones and subscribe other people. At this point, I'm willing to extend that to strangers. Um, (laughs) We'll see how literally you take me on that. Whoever's phone is stolen and then subsequently subscribed to Hardwood Knox, their life will be enriched. That I can guarantee you. Um, and until next time, we leave you with the shout out to promo code man Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. Mirai is Japanese for the future. And in the future, your commute will be less expensive because now you can get a special lease on a Toyota Mirai. Powered by hydrogen, it emits only water. And Toyota will cover three years' worth of your fuel costs up to $15,000. You'll also get three years' no-cost schedule maintenance, HOV lane access, and may be eligible for a $5,000 state rebate. The future sounds pretty good, huh? Get your special lease on a Mirai today. See San Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. 
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.